slowly straight up into the lead for Anton Hubert. Like he's on a different track right now. So much more speed. Excellent stuff on debut stuff. for Antoine Hubert. Delatraz is going to get close. It's side by side over the line. But it's Hubert <laughs> who takes the victory by less than a tenth of a second Brilliant. from Louis Delatraz. A drag race to the line. But it's Hubert who comes out on top to take his first victory in Formula 2. That was exciting. That was really exciting. Not a bad place for your first win, man. Not a bad place. Hi everyone, um, I am Andre Harrison, host of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Welcome to episode 210 of the show. I'm joined by Ryan King and RJ O'Connell as as usual. Um, I'm sure they'll speak up a little bit later on anyway. Um, but we've, we all know why you're here. I don't think you need me to explain too much. Um, this... I mean, I said it to King before we started recording. I've personally been a part of 400 plus radio shows on a variety of places, and I've never had to lead the charge after such a tragic and still very raw weekend of motorsport that uh, caused a fatality. And uh, I don't even know where to start, to be honest with you, but um, I'd just like to say personally a big thanks to everyone in the discord that could make it um and i'll say publicly what i said to king just before we started recording i'm honored to lead this network you know and this is going to be such a hard thing to do but i believe i have a duty to you guys as listeners to friends and, and to everyone that takes the time out to listen to us that well, I will always try my very best to stay true to myself and because I've said it to King before and I've said it in public a thousand times there's a million places you can get all your news and discord and, and takes about motorsport in general you choose to listen to us <laughs> God help you guys but you do and you're here for us and it's never easy but I feel like we owe you guys a show and I promise personally I'll we'll absolutely try our, our very very best to be as true to ourselves as we can because that's why you guys love us and that's why we love you guys too and yeah 
we will do our best to get through the next hour or so in relatively good spirit as we can no promises but we will absolutely try because that's our, that's, that's what I believe is our duty to you guys for those who have not heard the horrible news Antoine Hubert um, tragically lost his life this past weekend at Spa in the Formula 2 feature race um, he was just 22 years old and it was an early incident I believe I want to say King four cars were involved I want yeah I, I could it was basically walk you through what happened well sure. what we could see what happened in the incident mm-hmm. where it was uh, the start of lap two of the Formula two feature race where uh, seemingly at the exit of Radion uh, Giuliano Alessi lost control of his car uh, in what has not been captured by any footage so far. Somehow, uh, Antoine Hubert's car made contact with Alessi's car, went into the tire barriers to the to the right hand yeah to the right hand side of the Radion exit, what is you know the second pit lane uh, exit lane. <laughs> went into the tire barriers and uh, rebounded off the tire barriers back onto the racing surface. Well, back onto the pit lane exit road, which uh, Juan Manuel Correa had went down to avoid Alessi's car and made contact, uh, side-on contact, with Hubert's car. Uh that we know from fan footage captured at the top of Radion facing down the Kemmel Strait. How, how they got to the start of the incident, to that impact, we don't know. Uh, we know that Alessi made it all the way down to the end of Kemmel Strait before he pulled over his car. Uh, at the moment of impact, the race was immediately red flagged and emergency and medical crews immediately made their way towards the scene of the accident and that's pretty much all we know um from a live broadcasting standpoint and i say this in a good way they did not show a replay of the accident we are still in the dark regardless we are recording this on september 3rd um for those guys that may be looking at this from an archival standpoint um there is a formal investigation taking place into this incident, but we are in the dark, essentially. Um, we still don't have the exact details as to how this accident even happened. Um, so we can only speculate as to exactly how we got to this point, or even, or even a, for lack of a better term, a cause of death. Um, we don't know yet, and I'm sure more will will be revealed in the coming days weeks months as to you know what exactly caused this you know what can the FIA do to uh, make this incident any better or any safer um, down the road Um, and going from there so it'll be a lot like the last time we had a very sad show like this is when Jules Bianchi passed away and the difference is by that point the investigation had already taken place we'd already got all the details as to what had happened this is still incredibly raw um 
we still don't really know what happened to get to this point. Yes. Um, and, and that's going to be the worst part. I'd argue we, we're still in the dark as fans, and that's awful. Yes, completely understandably, the FIA uh, cancelled the Formula 2 sprint race uh, that was scheduled to be run on the Sunday. Uh, they will be racing at Monza. Uh, Hubert's team, Arden, understandably, will only w- run one car. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, it's still it's still so early. It's mm. it, it hardly it's feels real. No, it's it's been three days. I mean, it'll it, it'll hardly be a week before they're in a car in, in cars again and. Of course, the show must go on. That's what motorsports all about at the end of the day. But like like King says, it's it's just so raw, and like I I don't even really know where to start from a from an overarching or broad standpoint regarding all of this. And but first and foremost, we lost a damn good driver this past weekend. A incredibly talented driver um, and one that had a lot of deep running ties um, in the paddock as well I know RJ will allude to this a little bit as well but you know, Charles Leclerc, Pete, um, Esteban Ocon, Pierre Gasly all incredibly close, Gasly and, and Anfon grew up together, they went to school together they studied together You know, the guy that Pierre said after the race was one of his best friends um and yeah, like I, I even was, I was browsing the F1 subreddit, and I was seeing fans taking pictures of Anfon of, of the race weekend itself, and like any other race weekend, happy, buoyant, enthusiastic. Some of the stories that have come out since, you know, obviously, are, to a degree, tragic because of the context of you know why they're coming out, but it certainly built the picture of a all-round great enthusiastic young man that you know like so many in motorsport we love and admire was just trying to chase a dream to get to the very top and I believe he was genuinely a talent that probably was going to make it in a couple of years time and I think he had a very real chance of getting there I mean let's let's not forget we were talking about the final GP3 champion you know the you know he one in European Formula 3 and just this very season in Formula 2 if you've not been keeping track so much two two victories in the Formula 2 rookie season as well he's he absolutely adapted well to the step up and yeah the the the, the talk of, of Hubert's future was very positive indeed yeah where it it kind of obviously the events that happened kind of overshadowed it but earlier in the weekend uh Renault had came to an agreement with Hubert that they would back him for next season in Formula 2, and he was one of the most sought-after drivers for the next season to get one of the top seats in the, in the championship. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a busy weekend for Renault in general, um, in all sorts of senses, good and terrible. Uh, more on that later on in the show, but uh, yeah, this was a kid that I think had a very real chance to make it a very very real chance to make it and 
as Cam points out, he was bringing a team with no business at the front to victories. Like, Arden is not one of the real, more recent juggernaut teams in Formula 2, and yet, this is a guy that stood out in a very loaded crowd in a, in a field that you know, had, a, had a lot of talent gutted from it last season with you know a, a very rare triple F1 promotion for Norris, Albon and Russell. You know, it was a, a season where we were going to be looking for new stars to stand out and Hubert was one of those guys and it makes his career being cut short all the more tragic. Um, and... I think when you consider what what he had already gone through to that point, he came from a family where his father was a rally racer. He, of course, got into go-karts with Charles Leclerc, with Esteban Ocon, with Pierre Gasly. He was the fourth musketeer of maybe the next wave of French French and Madagascar talent uh, that was coming up through the ranks that was going to be the new French Revolution in Formula One. Hubert was that fourth driver, but he never had the backing. Like two years into his career, before he got to European F3, Hubert's single seater career was effectively finished until he secured a last minute deal with Van Amersfoort Racing to race that Formula Three campaign. And it was at that point where he became a race winner that he secured his move to the GP3 series. And that was an important crossroads for him because. Um, without that success in GP3, there's a very good chance that Hubert may not have been able to continue to climb the ladder, you know, because we've seen a number of talented drivers fall out of, fall out well before the, the, uh, the heights that he had reached, uh, well before they could aspire to become a GP3 series champion. Now international formula three in just his second year, uh, well before he could, sit we could climb to where he was eighth place in the standings with two victories um after the hungarian grand prix weekend he, he was he was not always the quickest driver but he was one of the most intelligent beyond his years and one thing that really stood out to me is that yes he was he was such a fun loving and fun person to be around from everybody that knew him in his brief life but in the paddock and in the car, he was a consummate professional. The feedback that he gave his engineered was always detailed. He was always on point. He was always focused. He raced hard, but he raced fair, and he was a quick learner. Um, in fact, if you happen to read motorsport.com's obituary, it'll point out that in his very first race in Formula 2, he started from 11th. He had no radio for most of the race, and... In his first race, trying to manage Formula 2 tires, he did a pretty damn good job, all things considered. Um, he, he turned he turned that into a fourth-place finish on his debut. Very impressive. Right right from the start, he pieced it out to Stella Talent. And, again, as Cam points out in the Discord, said he had a knack of maximizing every opportunity he had had in his career to, the, to this point. And... Uh, yeah, um, just just an awful, awful way for it all to suddenly end. I'd just like to take a moment as well to send continued well wishes to Juan Manuel Correa as well, who is still recovering um, from the accident himself. Um, I, I believe um, the team put out a statement a couple of days ago saying that, yeah, 
he was quite badly hurt, including you know surgery on his legs and spine. I believe um, he's being I think sent back to America to continue his recovery very soon. Um, I do hope he gets the mental support as well because I, there's there's there was talk on motorsport.com that he found out the news as to what happened in the accident and he was distraught, which I'm sure he wasn't the only one that, that feels that way. Um, and I, I, one of our earliest memories of this show that I hold on to a lot was talking about the mental health side of motorsport in general because we talked about Sage Karam, who was diagnosed with depression after he felt like he had taken the burden and responsibility after Justin Wilson's tragic accident and he blamed himself for it even though it was a completely one in a million freak accident he felt like he had to take the emotional brunt of that and that's not how it should be by any stretch of the imagination Um, but our brains work in 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 all sorts of ways sometimes so I, I hope everybody involved is getting the is getting the support they they need um, because it's we've all got to deal with this and we're all in this together um don't get me wrong i'll be the first guy to tell you that we as a motorsport family are often dysfunctional we're often at loggerheads we're, we often butt heads have disagreements and we get ridiculously tribalistic over who our favorite drivers are this show is this show is no is no greater example of that as as you know from from me and the Church of Dre to King giving his favorite driver a ten out of ten season review. We are all guilty of this crime, but that's part of why we love motorsport and and as much as we are often at loggerheads and and whatnot, we are a family. And we are—we all have a common goal, and we all have a common cause: is that we love cars and we love motorsport. We love it for what it is, as twisted and as political and as hard and as difficult as it can be. Sometimes, in its purest form, we love it, and that's probably never going to change. For the, certainly not for the three of us. Certainly not for the you guys that that listen to us and. King, you're an old mate of mine. I've known you for about eight years now. And I remember one of the earliest chats we had about this on on air was talking about how we look at racing drivers as heroes. And your correction, you said to me, was when you referred to them more as gladiators. And I've always... That's always stuck out in my mind. It has from day one. And that is the perfect analogy to how we sum these guys up. They are... We love them because... They're superhuman. They they can do things that we can only dream of with racing cars. We all, I think, we've all had the thought of being a racing driver ourselves at one point, and we love that. We love the the highs and, and that that come with that. But sadly, to balance the scale, you you sometimes get tragedies like this, and it's a stark reminder of you know the the danger of of motorsport in general and. It's gut wrenching. It's absolutely gut wrenching, and this is this is so hard because, like I said, this I'm now got to sit down in a seat and talk to you about it. And one like, like this time last year, as Cam points out, we were joking about the bloody corner that this happened on, and a year later, it's 
has claimed a life. I mean, that's just... It's, it's, it's utterly devastating. And we often lose track and we, I think we often lose sight of not only what the incredible spectacle of Spa is, but also the fact that, yeah, there is absolutely a percentage chance that someone's going to pass away in one of these meetings or someone's going to have a horrendous accident. And I would just like to say that, you know, we lost a damn good one this past weekend. And I'll say, I'll nail my flag to the mast on this one. Let's continue to push for as safe a motorsport as we possibly can. Let's not put down anyone who brings this up at any time other than when an awful accident happens. Let's sit down and let's have this conversation because we need to sometimes as fans need to take stock of what we've got. I don't think we should ever slow down or stop that push because it's something we so often take for granted that can often come back to bite us uh, from an emotional, from a physical standpoint. And because I would have that conversation a thousand times because I never, ever want to feel like how I personally felt on Saturday evening constantly refreshing my phone when I was at work praying that the worst wasn't going to come through and then it did I don't want to feel like I did when I woke up in the middle of the afternoon to the news of what had just happened not knowing what was ultimately to come but fearing the worst until it did and then your heart just hits the floor and you think about how when you lose somebody at that young an age before they've even had a chance to really leave a legacy, it's one thing when you have a driver who's already revered and accomplished, who's passed away under such awful circumstances like that. I would never wish that on anybody. When it's, when it's somebody who is still so very young, who has their entire lives ahead of them, it just makes it all the worse because at that point you don't have really so much a legacy to leave other than the promise of what might have been and the few memories of their life that you had with them it's it's heartbreaking it's just terrible it's horrendous it's utterly horrendous and I would give anything as a motorsport fan to make sure we never felt like that again, but chances are we will at some point. But let's keep pushing and let's do what we often love, what these drivers do ourselves, and let's keep pushing and we'll keep finding a way because that's that's all we know how to do as fans sometimes. One more time. Um... On behalf of everyone here at M101, our extended condolences to Anfon's family, the Arden team, the entire motorsport paddock, and of course his loved ones, his friends, his family, his fans. We're all in this together. We're all grieving as one. And, you know, we, we have to keep going. The sh- as, as, I, as I said, the show has to go on. That's what we do. 
but you know let's never lose sight of the fact we lost an incredible talent and let's hope we never have to see through that again we lost an incredible talent we, we lost an incredible talent we lost probably an even better human being that's that's my takeaway from it and as I said about the show going on you know less than less than 18 hours later we're lined up on a grid for a race that almost seems trivial in the grand scheme of things but as I said the show has to go on and yeah the Belgian Grand Prix yeah and I mean could it be any more written in the stars regarding first time winners than Charles Leclerc who had a fantastic weekend was clearly the fastest man on that track all weekend long it had been coming for a little while we've, we've, it's been well documented the near misses that he's had but finally it all, it all came together it, it seems fitting that it all came together that uh, on such a grisly weekend for the sport it had a genuinely wholesome feel good story to leave with and that was Charles Leclerc's first Formula 1 victory which he immediately dedicated to Anfon of course his, his long time friend and an and adversary and I mean what can you say King it was, a, it was an outstanding performance it really was yeah it was it was a race where he was clearly the fastest but there, there are moments during the race where we kind of you know thought back to like how is Ferrari gonna throw this one away (laughs) (laughs) we are often very cynical regarding this and to be fair the way this season's played out who can blame us um they've probably left at least three wins on the table so far this season it's we know the car's fundamentally got issues. We'll probably get into a bit more detail on that when we get to Sebastian's section on this set list. That's not me leading the charge, by the way. Totally isn't. But um, this is the weekend that it all came together. I mean, the, the pole position lap, he completely destroyed the field. It was three quarters of a second faster than any other man. I've, I can't remember the last time you know that we that I've seen a, a a qualifying run that dominant. Maybe Vettel's last V8 era pole position at Brazil, when it was in the wet and he was on pole by nearly a second, is the one I can that springs to my mind. But just ridiculous and all the way through, and he looked pretty comfortable all the way through until the end. Um, you know, it was it was a case that we'd kind of seen it with Sebastian, that given that uh, he had to go long on his second stint to the point where he had to two-stop in the end. Ferrari's tyre wear is still pretty bad. <laughs> to, to the point where Hamilton pretty much chased down a five-second disadvantage to the leader in the last six or seven laps of that race. And Leclerc and- pretty much had the benefit of clean air throughout the entire day. But by the time we got to the last few laps, um, those tires had just fallen off the point where Hamilton could close the gap. In the second sector especially, you know, there was no match. Mercedes were light years faster than Ferrari through all the medium to high speed corners. Yeah, that middle sector. Um, 
it was temps. It was like literally temps per corner. Hamilton was taken out of Leclerc in the in the lot in the last stages. I mean, I remember um, Bono, Peter Boninson, who is Hamilton's race engineer, where he was saying the drop the drop off when it comes, it'll come quick, basically. And he was right. It was he was absolutely on the money. It was Cam pointed out he was taking as much as maybe one point five in the middle sector. Of course, they were losing time in a straight line. It's it led to a quite funny motorsport.com quote. Um, from Total Wolf that was taken out of concept. This is how Red Bull felt in 20... This is, this is, like, I feel now this is how like Red Bull felt in 2014 and 15 when it was well-documented their power units at Renault were struggling in terms of top speed compared to compared to their rivals. And this time around, they were coughing up five to six miles an hour in, this, in the big speed traps, and it showed. Because all the time that Hamilton was gaining out of Leclerc was in the middle sector, the, the more technical medium speed corners was where Ferrari were really suffering at the end of their stints and uh, if that race is one lap longer Leclerc might not win that it might have been like Hamilton might have had maybe one crack into the bus stop maybe for a a, 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 a glory win a dive bomb maybe at the final corner but uh, yeah Leclerc just about held on by 0.9 of a second to take his first career victory and if if there's any more proof needed just how stupidly good Lewis Hamilton is this is another example that car had no business being that close for the win none it, it, it almost it had getting... no business being that close to qualifying up front as it did because he he wrecked the car in final practice. There was almost a chance it wouldn't even qualify that high. Yeah, Hamilton was struggling pretty much all weekend long. Was was, was you know lost time due to a, a throttle issue in FP1. Crashed in FP2. You know was way way off the top in qualifying. Only 0.7 behind Leclerc. You know it looked by all accounts Leclerc was going to win this easy, and Hamilton still found a way to very nearly steal it at the death. Um, and yeah, just the, the as Cam points out, this is one of the tracks where the Mercs has a genuine Achilles heel. Its aero package does not suit Spa, it, 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 certainly in, in, in the 2019 cars. Um, and yeah, Hamilton still very, very, very nearly found the way to win in the end. Um, it, those two were the two fastest by a country mile. Um, Valtteri Bottas. A very quiet third. Um, there was 12 seconds in front of either car in front or behind him. He was just the opportunity just wasn't there. He said it himself after the race. He just, he just didn't have any chances to really capitalise. And third was the maximum he was going to realistically get, barring shenanigans. And that's exactly how it turned out for him. Oh boy. Um, Sebastian was sacrificed for the greater good by the looks of it. Um, he was in fourth. He gets the bonus point for fastest lap of the race, um, so he gets 13 points, but uh, he was 26 seconds uh, behind his teammate in the win, uh, effectively an entire pit stop and change. Um, and by all accounts, it looks like he, he was maybe 0.6.7 a lap slower than his teammate was this weekend. But him being the rolling roadblock which Hamilton had to overtake on track to get through. And obviously the struggles that uh, 
that obviously Merckx have in terms of top speed and the difficulty of passing Sebastian, because Sebastian was able to hold on for probably two or three more laps than he had any right doing, and he did, and that might, that rear gunning might have been the difference maker um, that uh, that was able to basically, you know, give Charles his first win. It was, it's kind of weird seeing it as Vettel the rear gunner. Are you going, have you gone back to 2014 here? Like, it, it was a strange weekend for the four-time world champ, to say the least. I don't know, but maybe you guys can tell me because uh, I feel like I feel like I'm the Jose Mourinho. He was like, maybe I prefer not to speak because if <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it was a productive weekend for Ferrari. I mean, I, I think the timing of that stop. I feel like if they had left him out a little bit longer they might have had the one two in the bag because yeah they undercut him and it looked like for a time you know that'll ultimately end up coming out ahead of Leclerc at first but you know that the Ferrari was going to chew up the tires and that was not the strategy to win uh they had to go for the overcut was the strategy to have and I feel like um maybe they could have also pitted Vettel a second time a little bit sooner than they ultimately did Again, being yeah, being I a think, strategist I think, I think, is very I think, hard. I think they could have gone four or five laps earlier, by all account, especially given that his pace on the new tyres wasn't particularly great either. Um, it just felt like they, were, like they were hemorrhaging time for the sake of it. And, yeah, I don't think Ferrari um, quite had it right in that sense, but it worked for Charles. Charles clearly has a, a style that is a better fit for what this 2019 Ferrari is. And the theories in the Discord are varied. Some say he's checking out. Others are saying that, you know, like Cam's saying, that the car doesn't... Like, Vettel's entire driving style is all about having a stable rear. The Ferrari has precisely not that. Um, and... I don't know. I, I don't know what the real answer is, but I will say one driver shouldn't be three quarters of a second slower a lap than the other one. Guys have lost jobs for that. This season, guys have lost jobs for that. And yeah, it's I'm not sure how good a look that will be in the long run. But hey, as long as Charles wins, I don't think anyone's really going to no, care, right? No, <laughs> not after the 24 hours that he'd been through, going through pole position, the loss of his close friend. I remember you know, seeing the first photos of Charles and Antoine's mother, that that broke my damn heart. And mm. you know, the scenes afterwards, Charles points to the sky for his friend, immediately dedicates the win to his last friend. You know, he says he won't in time he may come to realize how special this is, but at that moment he there was no reason to celebrate and that's obviously understandable. And it's it, I would have been gutted. I think we were all gutted the way he lost some of these other races. If he had lost this one, it, it would have been just absolutely the worst. So I'm I'm glad he won this week. And I know that good health willing and opportunities willing, this will not be the last time you see Charles Leclerc on the top step of the podium. He is as good as advertised. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, well, to be fair, I think deep down we've kind of known this for a while. I think 
according to James, and I did see a couple of tweets regarding this as well, even the orange crowd with Verstappen were rooting for Leclerc on this one. It just felt like it just felt like the emotional right winner. And I'm glad we got. They it. even led the uh, yeah. they even led the standing ovation on lap 19 because that was Antoine's race number in Formula Two, that was mm. organized in the 24 hours since, and everybody at the track gave a standing ovation. Everybody watching the race through social media tweeted out a little heart for our lost friend. Indeed, um, glad it was acknowledged on the world feed by Crofty and Brundle, and well done social media for rallying around and getting that together in. God, less than 24 hours. Um, very football-esque, and I mean that in a very good way because that happens a lot during football games these days. But, uh, yeah, lovely stuff. And also, we'll get to it a little bit later on, but great to see that IndyCar had a moment of silence as well. WEC as well. their weekend. WEC as well. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, um, great to see. Great to see from them from around the sports world in, in, in general. I mean... Even it made mainstream news in the UK, which is crazy because Formula One never makes mainstream news here, and sadly, it's often for that reason. But uh, yeah, you know, doesn't get any easier. But uh, you know, we find the way. Yeah, we always do. uh, Like a lot of people were obviously very distraught. Like obviously, there were no thoughts about canceling the Formula One race. But there, there were talks around the paddock about canceling the Formula 3 race as well, considering uh, I think the uh, FOM uh, kind of brought up how they considering canceling the Formula 3 race, considering the age of the the ages of the drivers in that series, where I think besides besides Jake Hughes, who I think is the oldest driver in F3 at 25, most of the drivers are 20 and below. Right, most of them are teenagers and, and teenagers and young adults that should never have to go, they should never have to experience that trauma in their lives. I know they're signed up to be racing drivers and that's the life and the passion that they wish to do, which that's why we're, we're podcasters and they're racing drivers because at some point we realized we were either too broke uh, or too slow or not brave enough to take those risks. Indeed, indeed. Whew, right, the rundown of the full result, and we'll stop along the way for some other interesting stories, because there's a lot down here that we missed out in the midfield that was very interesting indeed. As mentioned, Charles Leclerc, first career victory. Also, a quite startling fact that came up, only the sixth new winner in the last decade. Crikey. Um, to say the least, that, well, that was one that was like, wow. And then, then they showed the names, and I was like, yeah, it really is. Because right. Mark Webber doesn't count. Webber's first win was just a little bit before this window. Because his first win was Germany 2009. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we've only had six new winners in the last decade. One of them was passed from Maldonado. One other thing about Leclerc's yeah. victory. Jules Bianchi, his godfather and mentor, only drove 34 races. Charles Leclerc got his first win in his 34th start. Some things are just meant to be. Charles Leclerc takes his first career victory by 0.9 of a second over Lewis Hamilton, who will extend his championship lead. We'll get into that very briefly. Valtteri Bottas ran off the podium in third. Sebastian Vettel fourth with the one-point bonus for fastest lap. Uh, Alex Albon, who made his Red Bull debut, almost lost amongst all this horrible news, is that uh, you know the, the big reshuffles to take place. Alex Albon's first race in the Red Bull, and 
a very good one. 17th on the grid after engine penalties and a shake-up, but he muscled his way through to finish in the top five in fifth place. Uh, a very strong performance, including a very ballsy final lap overtake on uh, Sergio Perez. Two wheels on the grass down the Camel Straight. <laughs> that was so um, good, it overshadowed his overtake on Ricardo around the outside oh, of wow. No Name Quarter. Yeah. That's the yes. kind of moves that Albon was making. My fear when they made the switch was that it was going to set up Albon in position to fail. And as he was kind of plodding his way along through the field, I was just like, oh, no, they're going to they're going to they're going to freak out about this. They're they're going to call for Albon's head after just one race. But as it turned out, Albon was making moves. He gained 12 positions. He got a top five finish on his Red Bull debut. That that is stunning. Yes, I know. It's over 80 seconds off the win. He had to come from a long way back, and that's still 10 championship points. It's an excellent, it's an excellent first performance in that car. I couldn't, couldn't have asked for any more realistically. Though, um, though we do have to add, it was a very, very short day for his teammate. Indeed, his teammate Max Verstappen. Who, well, does anyone remember the 2016 race we had here? where Verstappen kind of parked his car right on the apex over the curb of La Source in turn one and uh, might have initiated some contact. Well, we happened again, everybody. Um, Verstappen parked it on the apex of La Source again, and guess who he hit? Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi Raikkonen, again. who almost missed this race because of because of leg issues, <laughs> something that we entirely forgot about. They had to grab Marcus Erickson back from America to be on standby in case Raikkonen wasn't fit to race, and then he gets he almost gets flipped over one quarter into the race, and Verstappen breaks his suspension, and his race is done after four and a half corners. All I'm saying is that could have been another terrifying incident because I don't know if anyone's seen Verstappen's on board of that in initial incident, but as he's driving up Radalon, he clips Raikkonen's car going up the hill and thank goodness Raikkonen's car stayed four wheels to the tarmac because that could have been horrendous. Um, thank goodness they were both okay after that one because that could have been... Dare I say another disaster? Because uh, yeah, that was a that was a very very scary incident. Thankfully, both guys were able to walk out okay. But uh, it breaks like like, like it, it breaks Verstappen's streak of twenty one consecutive, an entire season's worth of top five finishes. Um, and yeah, Verstappen had to park it in had to, had to park it with broken suspension. Though, so, uh, uh, just just to add on about that near miss uh it was mentioned before the race and it actually came up during the race that the stewards were noting every single time anyone left the racing surface in the eau rouge radion complex because i think it during the race it came up during leclerc where leclerc had i think ran wide at the top of radion and they they noted him as going off obviously anything they note has to be investigated didn't know they were keeping an eye on that. That's actually quite interesting. Yeah, uh, I think given what had happened the day before, it's it's understandable. Obviously, that's a place where, you know, if you if you do cut the 
if you because I think the problem is now more that people will take liberties in cutting the inside of the left hand or at the top rather than running wide at the exit. Yeah. Very true. Because that came up a couple of years ago with Sebastian when he had his puncher. Um, it, a lot of people were very quick to blame that curb. Saying, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't drive over the curb. They're racing drivers, for God's sake. Of course they're going to take liberties. But yeah, Verstappen going full speed up Radalon with broken suspension. Oh, that could have been terrifying. Thank, thankfully, everybody okay in the end. Um, Checo, sixth place in the end. Did have to go to the stewards along with Albon regarding that last lap overtake, but both. I love that they even said in the official stewards report that it said both agreed that it was good hard racing. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> both agreed it was good hard racing, and because Albon successfully passed the overtake, that should be the end of the matter. Which it was. Um, good result, though, for the racing point boys there, with Perez in sixth. And his teammate Lance Stroll also in the points in tenth. Although we got a bit of luck regarding that, which I'll get to briefly. Also, I feel like we've not done this man justice because of the nature of Albon's first race at Red Bull. Another brilliant drive from Danilo Kvyat to go from 19th to 7th. That is a stunning job. Wow. Um, from from the young Russian. This man's putting together a hell of a season yeah. at Toro Rosso. Comeback driver um, of the year, in my opinion. Comeback driver of, oh God, of yeah. one of the... Maybe one of the contenders for comeback driver of the decade. Yeah, this is nuts. Kvyat has, has, like... It's easy to forget just how much mental burden he's been put through in his career to get to this point. Again, we already had the Germany podium, which was ridiculous. And... Now another nineteenth to seventh, twelve places gained, racing hard all way through, all the way through. And I wonder if he's a little bit mad that is that the Albon got that Red Bull second, got that Red Bull chance over him getting the second coming, and maybe that's why he was driving a bit harder than usual. <laughs> and I think, but, uh, uh, and, and as well, obviously for for circumstances we've talked about uh, related to Charles, Pierre Gasly finishing ninth in his first drive after being demoted from Red Bull to Toro Rosso, mm. that's no small accomplishment either. Indeed, easy to lose sight of that, but that's a, a, a very hard-earned two points for Pierre Gasly, especially in the context of the awful weekend. An awful week and a half, I would say, that he's had to go through um, since the summer break. Um, so yeah, a, a, strong, a, a, a strong reminder of Gasly's class of a very... Very well earned ninth place. Those those two guys were the bread in a sandwich for Nico Hulkenberg. A good drive from him there in eighth place, given that you know Renault's struggles have been well documented lately. Um, and hey, he's about to lose his job. More on that later. Um, he's in eighth, as mentioned. Lance Stroll rounding off the points in tenth. Oh, Lando Norris in eleventh, a lap down and. Poor fella, on the final lap, his power unit died with two minutes of racing left. I mean, he was running a very lonely fifth place and had done nothing wrong and his power unit dies on him with five miles of track to go. That's just horrendous. Someone get the Titanic music out for that one, please. Um, It's like... Unfortunately, later on that day, the day for all McLaren-associated cars just get worse. 
Oh yeah, more on that later as well. Yeah. Um. Oh dear. Also, if you have not seen the clip of of uh, Lando streaming on his Twitch channel yesterday, while obviously sporting a ton of Valentino Rossi merchandise, which I thought was also quite funny because. If anyone saw the MotoGP race this past week, uh, Lando is a massive Valentino Rossi fan, and he got to finally meet his idol in person, which he absolutely loved, like the bubbling teenager that he is. Um, he was also Twitch streaming, where one of the guys he was streaming with literally replayed the audio of of, of the onboard and Lando's voice when his power unit was dying. <laughs> That's cruel. Luckily, Lando took it like a very good sport. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't seen the clip, go find it on, on Twitter. It's well worth a minute and a half of your time. It's cruel, but also hilarious. Man, um, over the past week, racing Twitch has had literally no chill. <laughs> none. None whatsoever. <laughs> Savage out of ten. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Kevin Magnussen in 12th for Haas Romain Grosjean in 13th place You remember uh, when very... Haas were running 6th and 7th after the first safety car? I remember when Haas were running 6th and 7th after the first safety car and Good that day, it's good long. day <laughs> <laughs> An hour later they're 12th and 13th and Grosjean goes into another tirade about how the car is virtually undrivable. He said he was losing 20 kilometers an hour down the straight compared to the people he was racing against and he was getting passed lap after lap by the midfielders around him. And it's hard not to be frustrated when you're losing that much in the speed up, especially when, as Cam points to, they're using Ferrari power units in their car. They have the most powerful unit in the field and they are giving up so much in a straight line that even Kevin Magnussen couldn't defend out there. And, uh, yeah, not pretty for the Haas boys. They're a real, a real struggle, to say the least, um, for those guys in top 13th place. Daniel Ricciardo was just not in the races. 14th place for him. George Russell in 15th for the Williams. Nice. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen, after the incident on the opening lap, suffered about 20 points worth of floor damage to the car, and he was crippled pretty much all the way home in 16th. Robbie Kubica, last of the, of the guys to see the chequered flag in 17th. And Gian Antonio Giovinazzi in 18th place, and he was running in 8th. He was set for a career-high finish, but then he loses it a Pujol on the final lap. No! Oh... No, Antonio, no! I, I do want to stress, he was okay after doing a full 360 spin and going nose first into the tire barriers. That was the good part. Yeah, the bad part is now he's the subject to a lot of rumours that Nico Hulkenberg might be coming for his seat next year. And that probably did that rumor no favors whoa 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 rumors that hulkenberg could take a seat what about our man marcus erickson sitting on the sidelines um uh well at, I, I, signs hope he, to I, hope, I hope erickson was comped his frequent flyer miles. <laughs> save him up boy he might be needed in next year which would be a real shame because geo's a great talent but oh Damn it. That's a brutal one. Carlos. Two, uh, two other DNFs. Carlos signs who just couldn't get going. He was starting down the back for engine penalties anyway, but then stalled on the grid. Couldn't really get it going again. Power loss later. Only completes one lap. Uh, breaks a great run of form for the young Spaniard. Um, 
did not finish. Way to go, Renault. Um, and of course, as mentioned, Max Verstappen did not see past. He didn't even get to see his own grandstand because his suspension was already broken by then. Poor guy. Um, championship standings after the first round of the break. We have eight to go here. Lewis Hamilton extends his championship lead even further. It's now 65 points ahead of his teammate Valtteri Bottas in second on 203. Max Verstappen still third on 181 points despite the DNF. Sebastian Vettel still fourth on 169. Nice. Ahead of Charles Leclerc on 157. Shout out to Lewis Hamilton, who can't read a scoreboard when he said after the race that Leclerc's doing better than Vettel this season. Um, where to go, Lewis? Great to see you keeping on top of the scoreboard. Apart from, you know, your name at the top. Good to know. Golf collapse all round. Pierre Gasly in sixth on 65 points. Seven ahead of Carlos Sainz Jr. And the best of the rest, Chasey's on 58. Then old Kvyat's now up to eighth in the championship in that Toro Rosso on 33 points. What a season he's having. Kimi Raikkonen ninth on 31. Alex Albon, with the little bit of help from his car underneath him, is now up in, into the top 10 on 26 points. Ahead of Lando Norris on 24. And Daniel Ricciardo on 22. Constructors, well, it's another dunking from Mercs, and they, they, their lead goes up to 145 points. They're on 471 to Ferrari's 326, but Ferrari puts more distance between them and Red Bull in the fight for second. Red Bull down to 254 now, so they're 72 points behind. In the fight for fourth, well, I, 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 the first time, only the, only the, actually, no, it's the fourth time this year now that McLaren have had a double donut to leave a Grand Prix weekend with, despite having a comfortable lead in fourth. It makes you wonder how much more they could have had if they'd actually been a bit more consistent, because they've got top five level speed underneath them. It's a real shame. 82 points for them at the moment in fourth, ahead of Toro Rosso, which are now... Yeah, Toro Rosso are now climbing up the board now. They're up into fifth now on 51, ahead of Renault on 43. They're three points ahead of the racing point team that's clawed some ground back as well. They're on 40. Um, Alfa Romeo on 32. Haas still in ninth on 26. And then Williams down the bottom of the board still with just the one point. That midfield is looking very spicy, especially in the fight for what could be fifth place. Um, only 19 points covering fifth through eighth. For record, very tight Toro Rosso, if they were to finish fifth in the constructors, they've never finished that high. Not as Toro Rosso, Indeed. never as Minardi. No chance. Um, it would be, by a mile, their best ever constructors finish. Um, and... That was what Franz was always been aiming for, and we never really took him seriously when he said this, this this could be a top five team. Until now, by the looks of it, because they've got two very solid drivers underneath them, and the and the Honda is going well. It is going well pretty much everywhere now. So, yeah, they're looking very, very good indeed. Formula One is back this next weekend at the land of speed, Monza. Aim on for Ferrari? Anyone? <laughs> no? Maybe? Sad? When was the last um, time Ferrari's won an Italian Grand Prix? 2010, I want to say? It's been a long time. 10 or 11 that Alonso won it? 2010. There you go, 2010. That was right. I was right with years first time for once. It was 2010, <laughs> Fernando Alonso. I'm normally a year out on these things. Um, yeah, last Ferrari win at, on home soil was 2000. 
well, technically not home soil, because I think they've won at Imola in between, but no, actually no, because Imola's not on the calendar anymore. Shit, I'll go confused. Um, what we're saying yeah, is it's first... been a long time since Ferrari's won at home. Yeah, almost yes. a decade. <laughs> Charles, no pressure, son. Just, just saying. How long before the Fosi boost the shit out of Lewis Hamilton? Because, you know, Italian sports fans aren't in the media for good reasons at the moment. Hi, <clears throat> uh, Inter Milan. Um, fucking pricks. Right. <laughs> it, before we get into the IndyCar segment, I, I've been promised to get the housekeeping out of the way because we didn't really feel like it was appropriate to get it in at the top of the show for, well, obvious reasons. Places you can find us real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our handles personally, you can. At RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and at Harrison101HD. All of our details are on our website, motorsport101.com. And if you'd like to back us financially, you can back us financially on patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. I'd just like to make this quick point. This episode will not be included as a part of that. Um, this episode will go out as soon as it's available. We are, we do not believe in putting such a horrific event as a plug, so to speak, to put it be- to put it behind a delayed paywall. We we don't believe in that, and we never will. So. I think you can forgive us just this once if we don't put it on early access this time around. But normally, under normal circumstances, $5 gets you early access to all of our shows and $10 gets you in to the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they go out and probably get some of your comments read out on the air as well. Like so many of you guys inputted us as well. Thanks to everybody that's in here tonight. I know it's not under the best of circumstances, but we do really appreciate you guys being here tonight. It makes it a little bit easier. That's for darn sure. Um, After this quick musical break, we'll be back to talk about IndyCar and their penultimate round, the Grand Prix of Portland. The penultimate round. We're getting into the business end of the IndyCar season. and Shit, it's almost over already. Yep. Yeah, it's over in 18 days' time. And it's amazing. It's actually three weeks. It's actually kind of weird. It's three weeks between now and the final round at Laguna Seca. Um, it's... That's really weird timing, because especially, especially given how IndyCar loves cramming its schedule into the middle of the summer week so badly. But yet, here we are. But anyway, the Grand Prix of Portland, back uh, back for the second time after its return to the calendar. Um, and, whew, this is going to be an interesting one. And uh, Boy, like, this started off hot. <laughs> well, I, I think... I think our story should start at qualifying because the fast six was really interesting, mainly by who wasn't in the fast six. Championship leader Joseph of- Newgarden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No championship contender made the fast six. Uh, it was very re- weird and. Uh, Connor Daly made the fast six, but none of but none of the other uh, yeah. Connor Daly made the fast six. Jack Harvey made the fast six, but not James Hinchcliffe. Do you have to remind me of this fact? I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'd rather not. Hold on. It, hold on. It wasn't intentional. Hold on. Hold on. I feel like 
because Connor Daly wasn't supposed to be in this race, King. Well, you know how early in the show we talked about Marcus Erickson sitting on the sidelines? Someone had to race his car this weekend. Connor just happened to be in the area, and, uh, <laughs> like, you, you didn't see it. It's like, it's literally like the scene in uh, Mission Impossible, the movie that came out last year when he's clinging onto the side door of the plane. That's Connor Daly every time there's a new indie car around. He's, like, clinging nah, to nah, the... No, 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 Connor Daly is, you know, that Chappelle show sketch, like, hey, you guys got any of them race seats left? <laughs> Oh, of course, <laughs> joking. the week he releases a new controversial stand-up, you had to get that in. Yeah, of course yeah, you I'm just, yeah. His, uh, that man's name value is uh, is plummeting by by the hour, just like his bank accounts. Oh lord! <laughs> to, to quote his joke from the racial draft, he just lost all his endorsements. Oh, tough break. Um, but yes, corner just happened to be in the area. And uh, so we thought, you know, let's, let's put him in the number seven car, which he did. It's a shame his race lasted about 15 seconds. Um, opening lap, we're underway. Everyone's filing in. It's not an easy turn one and two complex here. It's a, it's a very slow chicane, um, very narrow entry. And, oh, wait, Graham Rahal missed his breaking point. Oh, no, he's tagged into Zach Veach. Oh, no, there's... Five cars that are beached in the middle of the track. Somebody throw a caution. Graham, Graham, Graham. It funnels, too. Like, that's a wide front stretch, and it just funnels down into, like, a one-line oh, yeah. groove. Two, if you're feeling really optimistic. But no, yeah, he... that was that was a pileup waiting to happen. It was. That, that turn one is not nice around here, and... Uh... Yeah, it's it's not been great to say the least. Rahul missed his breaking point. He clattered into the rear of Zach, I think it was Zach Veach's car who he tagged. Yep. He's then going sideways over the turn one apex curve, and then he goes right into the side of James Hinchcliffe and Connor Daly's car. All four are eliminated uh, before they even get round to see the checkered flag again for the first time um, for the start of lap two. So yeah, we immediately lost. Four cars straight away, basically, including Graham himself. Um, and that brought out an 11-lap caution. Um, Graham, to be fair to him, he owned it. He took he took full responsibility for the accident. I don't see how he could do anything else, to be, uh, to be fair. But he's like, yeah, it was a stonewall, 100% Graham's fault. Um, he had to own it after the race. He was interviewed. He was very sheepish. In, in his interview, and uh, it looks like some of his frustration's been boiling over. Did, did anyone see his uh, little uh, Twitter rant after the race? Um, oh, about how you went, about him going at the people who were complaining about his driving on social media? Yeah, he said after, after the race itself on Twitter, I'm dis and I quote, I'm disappointed in myself for the first corner incident, and sorry to those whose races it affected. The last two years have certainly been trying, in inverted commas, and that came to a head today. Contrary to every Twitter troll on the planet's claims, I certainly never intended to do that. 
and then he goes like this is when this is when Rahul goes fake woke. See if you can spot the transition. Social media is a sad place to be. It shows what our society has become. How people get satisfaction out of tearing others down and treating fellow humans so poorly, it's appalling. It's a toxic platform, and I'm sure fear for my future kids and yours if this continues to develop. Like, I like that Graham went like all fake woke for a minute there. Like <laughs> Like, Graham, it's not that deep. You're screwed up. People are going to come at you for it. It just happens, man. Like, of course, I'm sure there's levels to that, but... Graham, you got to take your L here, man. Like... Yeah. <laughs> when has Graham... When has Graham Rahal ever logged off, though? <laughs> no, no. He is, he is the sort of guy that would have a curious cat account and would actually reply to trolls. Wait a minute. Um, anyway, um, after that race got re- got underway and got restarted, um, I was like, oh, great. Wait, hang on a minute. There's another one here. Why is that yellow car veering all to the way? And oh, no, Jack Harvey's gone over the curb. Oh. Yeah, like, man. Ryan Hunter Ray try like I've never seen anyone go for a dive bomb from that far out. I, I I don't understand it, and and RJ's clapping in the background for a reason. Um, he's uh he's tenderizing his meat, but uh, no, the, the real reason is because we're back in good spirits, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't no, take it was long, my- but we're back in good spirits. No, uh, Jack Harvey um gave uh, gave Ryan Hunter Ray a standing ovation. For that magnificent move that took both of them out. Yeah, it, it turns out that uh, Hunter Ray was defending very hard from Alex Rossi that was attacking him from behind. Um, Hunter Ray's not normally that defensive, but he was defensive. Unfortunately, he too, like Graham, missed his breaking points. Um, but at this point, he's lost control of his car. He drives narrowly, pretty much straight on at the turn one apex, over the top. And clatters into Jack Harvey's car, who, again, could not continue after the uh, the damage had taken place. And as RJ alluded to, a delightful sitting ovation from from the Englishman who had to sit there and clap as uh, to applaud sarcastically. The most British way of complaining about a crash possible would be the sarcastic round of applause, which is exactly what Jack Harvey gave to him. And this was a guy that once again was running deep in the top 10 before the accident. Harvey has put together a fantastic season this year in IndyCar. I really hope he gets a full-time gig somewhere next season. He's more than worthy of it, and it's a real shame that his race was uh, effectively ruined uh, by Hunter Ray's uh, apex crossing shenanigans, which caused another three-lap caution. So, uh, so let's run down the retirement so far. So that's Hunter Ray, Harvey, Hinchcliffe, uh, yeah, Hinchcliffe, Daly, and Veach. All alongside out Graham. At, alongside Graham Ray Hall, who would eventually have to retire. I mean, like, and we've only had, what, two or three actual racing laps? <laughs> My count is we had two racing laps at full speed before those two incidents had taken place. Literally yeah. laps 11, 12, and 13 before we had Hunter Ray going over the curb and causing the second caution. It was a bit weird that the first one was 11 laps long and the second one was cleaned up in the space of two laps, basically. Um, but yeah, they got going again. We eventually got a race. 
to be fair, pretty tame by IndyCar standards around here. Um, but very quietly at the front, one man came back to remind us all just how fast he can be, and that was William Goddamn Power, ladies and gentlemen, who uh, took his, I want to say 37th? 37th career, career victory, and the second in three oh. races, in case you were worried that Will Power was uh, was not long for, for this world at the top. Uh, no, Will Power is still very good at driving a race car, folks. Oh, I, I, I thought Dre was going to say how Will Power took Colton Herta back to school. <laughs> Ooh, I missed that one. I'm a gutted, I'm gutted, I missed that. Well played, King. Um, so, so, yeah, Colton Herta, one pole, had yeah. a fairly comfortable lead in the race, but slowly, uh, slowly but surely, Will Power made his way through the field. <laughs> he did, and then his team somewhat screwed the pooch by keeping him out too long. Um... They left him on dead tyres for way too long, and it ended up sinking him down the field to eventually finish in fourth in the end. It's a shame because Colton absolutely had the pace to win this race on paper. Um, as mentioned, it's his second P1 award already, um, but uh, wasn't quite able to convert it into a victory this time around. And again, very quietly in second on the podium again, Felix Rosenquist, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Yeah, we had a late restart because another Honda battery gave out this on the uh, the car of Santucci for Reno uh, with about uh, less than 10 laps to go. That got us a late restart. And you're thinking, wow, Rosenquist might have a chance to win this. And uh, no, he doesn't. But hey, second place, second place, still a very good result. And this now uh, this has championship implications in its own, just like what happened bit. with his teammate. Indeed. Um, guys, I'm calling it now. It's the end of Scott Dixon's title hopes. <laughs> That's, oh my lord. Yeah. That's something I wouldn't normally say. <laughs> yeah. So, on lap 37, Scott Dixon takes the lead of the race. He's past Colton Herta, who is on worn tires, and you think, right, Dixon's in position to make up a huge chunk of that deficit that he has to the leaders he just has to make sure that nothing catastrophic happens why is he losing power coming out of the final corner why is his engine cover coming off on his pit stop it's another battery problem two in two races and just like that dixon went from the title contender we all feared to being mathematically out of the running Oh, not dear. not entirely mathematically eliminated, but I'll go into the permutations a little bit. He okay. needs he needs basically a, a hope and a prayer and a meteor yeah, shower. Uh, yeah, my maths are out. He's eighty five points off yes. the title, and it's a hundred for a win without any bonus points. He needs to have yeah. New Garden finish twenty first or lower among twenty five, and have Rossi and Pagano finish outside the top four or five. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> that was all I would say. <coughs> Look, I love Scott Dixon as much as the next guy. Um, he'll be furiously pounding pancakes in frustration as a result of this poor <laughs> weekend of results. What, I just said pounding pancakes? What could that possibly be implied as? Um, but, um, but it's not. The racing gods have decided, no, it really isn't Scott's year this year. Better luck next time, Scotty. Give it to somebody else for once, for God's sake. Um, basically, see, he would eventually finish in 16th place. And, 
yeah, needs virtually a miracle now to uh, win the championship. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how we go on that one. Round of the podium, a very quiet but efficient day. Alex Rossi in third, who once again just chisels a couple of points out of New Garden's title lead and is doing okay, but he's not landed the knockout punch he needs to steal the title um, on, on this one yet. Hang on, I think the Discord's correcting me on something here. I think actually New Garden extended his lead. Actually, yeah, he did because yes, he did Rossi extend was third. His lead. Yeah, because Rossi was third in the championship going into his. I think Pagano was second. I think I want to say yeah. going yes, into Pagano finished se seventh. So yeah, Rossi so, third, uh, New Garden fifth, Pagano seventh. Yeah, so uh, actually, yeah, actually, New Garden by finishing in fifth actually extended his lead a little bit more. Um, we'll get into the permutations of that very briefly. Um, but yes, Rossi rounds off the podium. Although it's uh, well, it's looking like again Rossi's running out of time to land the knockout blow for this for this title campaign. Um, Colton Herter, as mentioned, another very very solid performance from the rookie in fourth place. Joseph Newgarden fifth. Spencer Piggott, hey, in sixth, doing better than Manchester United, the team he supports right now. Good for him. Simon Pagano in seventh. Matt Leist eighth. Before we continue in their great form, while coming off a gateway with another top 10 for their young Brazilian. Good job for him. Wait, Seb what? Day. <laughs> Matt oh. Leist in eighth. <laughs> it's a miracle. Jeez. Truly a miracle. Which is going to sound really weird when we get to the news section. Oh, yeah. More on that very shortly. Sebastian Borde in ninth. Charlie Kimball was the last man on the leading lap in tenth. Hey, slightly above average Kimball has gone back to decent Kimball. Good to see. Max Chilton in 11th. Uh, Tony Kanaan 12th. Marco Andretti 13th. Ed Jones 14th. Not now. Sato in 15th place ahead of Scott Dixon, who, as I mentioned, had the mechanical failure or the battery problem that put him three laps down in the end. Um, People's champion Santino Ferrucci in 17th place. Um, Sagan, he had, a, he had a mechanical issue with his engine on on the home straight. I love that the Discord immediately was like, excuse me? Regarding people's chat. It's a sarcastic nickname, for God's sake. We all know how popular he is in the NBC commentary booth. Um, 18th was Ryan hunter Ray, and then it's just, it's just the list of DNFs. It's hunter Ray who finished 24 laps down in the end. He did, they did get his car going again in the end, but uh, was significantly down. And then five did not finishes, uh, including Jack Harvey in 19th, James Hinchcliffe, Connor Daly, Zach Veach, and Graham Rahal all failed to make it past the opening lap. So, championship standings going into the final round of Laguna Seca in three weeks' time. Remember, that last round is double points. New Garden extends his championship lead to 41 points ahead of Alex Rossi. He's one point himself ahead of Simon Pagano at 551, and Scott Dixon is fourth on 508. Mathematically speaking, they are the only four drivers that are eligible to win the championship, and let's be honest, it would take a walk-in miracle for Dixon to win it, so it's really effectively a free horse race between, the, between... I don't know, man. Scott Dixon, though. Don't, don't you even dare. <laughs> it could happen. It could happen, but to reiterate, Dixon needs to win the race, a race that he himself has not driven since 2002, 
He needs Newgarden to finish 21st or lower, and we're not even He's sure if we can there. get 22. <laughs> we got tw- I'm not sure if we ha- we're going to have 21 cars. Uh, and true. Rossi and Pazanode have to finish outside the top four or five. Newgarden can wrap up the title no matter what Paginot or Rossi or Ditson do if he just finishes inside the top four. And actually, by my count, there should be... 24 cars the next round because obviously Erickson will be back, Daly will be running in another card and Dreddy, and Harvey will be there. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, who's wait so who's put, who's putting the betting market out there for new garden to get a spin in the opening lap to just to make us shit ourselves <laughs> a bit harder. Opening lap. Throw Brazil twenty twelve here, you know? Um, just just to see what happens. I'm 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 giving you I'm giving you 13 to 8 odds on that. <laughs> have have fun with that. But yeah, as mentioned, those are the four guys that are mathematically eligible to win it all. They're giving a Saker in three weeks' time, September 22nd, for the IndyCar season finale at. WeatherTech, Laguna, Seika. Quick run out of the rest of the positions real quick. Real Power in 5th on 469. Nice. Takuma Solito on 397. Ryan Hunter Ray on 380. Phoenix is, up, is now up to 8th in the championship on 365. Graham Rahal on 353. Fazina Ferrucci on 339 in the top 10 now ahead of 7th. So yeah, yeah, that means the, the the rookie of the year race has gone from being just having a margin of two points between Rosenquist and Ferrucci to a margin of twenty four points. Oh no, actually twenty twenty six points. No. Yeah. Oh, hold 26. on, hold on, hold on. No, I I need to get into this because it's not just those two, because Colton Hurd is only forty nine points out. There is a chance. There's a chance. There's a and chance. It, <laughs> and this is a guy that was under the first retirements in the Indy 500. He basically got nothing out of the first double point round, and he's still in, he's still in range. So that kind of says it all. My question is, how long will it take for somebody to take to Twitter if Ferrucci does indeed not finish out of Rosenquist or Herda and say that the IndyCar voting panel screwed Ferrucci out of Rookie of the Year when it's a points-based merit? <laughs> Immediately. Immediately. I, I, I'm sitting the over under to 4.5 seconds. I would, I would recommend you take the under on that, quite frankly. Um, yeah, Phoenix 365, Santucci 339, Colton Herter, Austin 316. Um, your three there, Rookie of the Year candidates as well. As mentioned, September 22nd, the IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca will be the right there to review the action in a month's time. Can't wait. By the way, like, did anybody here have the balls to predict anyone other than Newgarden to win the title here? Oh. So I can't get there. I I can't get there, especially, like, during the, like, after the race broadcast and post-race, they, they talked to Will Power about what Roger Penske wanted Will Power to do during the race, and mm. pretty much... Penske, Penske told Power, just your your one goal out there is ensure that none of the other title contenders win the race, even if that means like, even that if that means like, hey, New Garden's having a bad day, you just need to win. You just need to prevent the other drivers from maxing out points. Yeah, because like the mountain effect of the scoring in IndyCar is greatly weighted towards the winner. So. 
if you can win, that's actually probably a better win than trying to stop, you know, Rossi or Rossi Dixon or, or Rossi or Dixon. Also, you, you, would, you wouldn't have no complaints if Pagano wins the title for obvious reasons. Penske's yep. got two dogs in the fight. So, yeah, anyone but anyone but Alex at, the, at this point, <laughs> basically. I, I so, still got to uh, ride with my championship pick. I, I pick Rossi before the start of the season. I got to stick with that. <laughs> But, you know, if Newgarden does wrap up title number two, you think I'm going to be upset? Fuck no. no. <laughs> of course you're not. It's either bragging rights or the hometown boy wins. You can't lose here. Unless Pagano wins the title somehow. I'm fine with Pagano winning. Yes, he's a perfectly nice man who makes silly visits to the White House. Anyway, <laughs> should we get into the news real quick? Yep, and uh, we have driver market news. Somebody rang, somebody ring the silly season bell. <laughs> it's got, happening. Yep. Got, silly I, season has come alive in F1. I got whoa, GSPN uh, notifs being sent to my phone right now. <laughs> we love it. We can't wait for and, can't wait for woes to drop an F1 bar. <laughs> and the first domino truly fell on the Thursday of the race weekend in in Belgium because. Uh, it's Nico Hulkenberg out at Renault, and in comes the return of beloved f- other French boy, Esteban Ocon. He's back! He is very and much Surprise, back. surprise, Hulk is mad because it wasn't 100% merit-based. Well, <laughs> mm. I'm going to say I'm gonna say this for the record. They had a very good driver lineup in Hulkenberg and Ricardo. They have a multiple Grand Prix winner and a Le Mans 24-hour champion who is regarded as one of the best drivers who has never scored a podium. I know he doesn't have a podium in a hundred and some odd starts, but he is still a very top-quality driver. Man, if you cannot get the best out of Ocon and Ricardo with that lineup, Renault, what the hell are you doing? I'm not even sure that's a better lineup. Like... Ocon's a year out of the game. I'm not entirely sure he's, he, he, he's going to... That's the thing. If you're Esteban Ocon, you're walking into a struggling factory team under a lot of pressure, and Daniel Ricciardo as a teammate. Like, if you're Esteban oh. Ocon, you've got you've not got a lot to gain, and you've got an awful lot to lose here. Like, I, now, I just... Now, I, to me, I feel completely opposite about this. From Renault's standpoint... In terms of securing their long-term success in Formula One, well, just their long-term existence in Formula One, signing Esteban Ocon was extremely crucial because pretty much for Renault to, you know, just exist in Formula One, they need to convince the Renault corporate board that having a Formula One team is a worthwhile investment for their company. And nothing says worthwhile investment than having a, a spokesperson for your company that that speaks to your biggest market your home market france yeah so are you basically implying that signing the hometown boy might have been a bit of a leg up in the old boardroom discussion hmm? yeah because if if they can convince them like if they convince the corporate board to allocate them more funds they could stand a chance of being more competitive and it helps that he's a quick driver who's still 22 years old, who pretty much beat Sergio Perez in every head-to-head category but the stat sheet, but the score sheet last year, who again beat Max Verstappen in a straight-up fight as rookies in their only Formula 3 season together. 
Indeed. Like, it, I'm not saying that Esteban isn't bad, but it's like I do feel a little bit bad for Hulkenberg. He dragged that team back up the oil when they were going through some hard times. Oh, yeah. Con- I don't doubt convincing that. Them, and convincing themselves that Jody and Palmer was an F1 quality driver. Um, <laughs> and Mac, like Hulkenberg rode out some nasty days in that Renault team to get some good results out of it and led the team very well. Of course... He's not on Daniel Ricciardo's level. We know Daniel Ricciardo is probably top five pound for pound on the grid for talent right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and, and you know. while while Hulkenberg did com- you know make some complaints about him parting with Renault, one thing he pointed out that a part of that decision, well, he personally feels wasn't his demands to have an equal salary with Daniel Ricardo, who we should again note is the highest paid employee at the Renault Nissan Alliance. They paid Daniel Ricardo 20 million bucks a year to sign with Renault and Hulkenberg. Well, if you're Hulkenberg off, especially after going through the grind of getting Renault to this point in your prime years as a racing driver, you're going to want some financial compensation that comes with that. Mm. And uh, Renault wasn't going to give that to him. So I can't blame Hulk for being a bit sassy on the way out. And to be fair, he's now probably the number one free agent on the board now. So but where does he offers. go? Well, where does he go now? I mean, does he go to Haas, a team that's flagging? Does he go to Alfa Romeo, which is, uh, it can be a little bit shaky sometimes. Is he going to hold out for that Red Bull seat to maybe open? Is he going yeah, to go to Formula E? It, it should be noted that Red Bull has stated it. I don't know if it was you know a hint at Hulkenberg or a hint at someone else, but they said to fill all four seats next year that they might have to look outside their own driver, you know, their own driver system, which is obvious considering who they have in their system might not be ready for F one. Really. <laughs> Um, no, and they've done it before with Mark Webber, and they were very close to signing Hulkenberg in 2014. They, they, they were talking to Kimi Raikkonen around the end of the V8 era for potentially to sign up there. So it's not like Red Bull hasn't teased the possibility of going outside their academy before. They've dabbled, they've dipped their toes in the water where that's concerned, and Hulk probably would be a solid guy in that Red Bull unit, and he probably would at least finally get his first podium somewhere along the line. Poor fella. Yeah, but but I would hate it for whoever inevitably gets dropped for that, whether it's Kvyat for what seems like the 27th time, whether it's Pierre who goes from Red Bull to Toro Rosso to out, whether it's Albon who gets the opportunity of a lifetime uh, a year after being told that he's not a Red Bull's race radar, and then they cut him again. It's a shit move for somebody, and that's the problem that Hulkenberg has had in his F1 career. He's never the number one pick. There's always someone that's a bit sexier as a prospect. There's always someone that's, you know, a little bit better or a little bit safer or a little bit, you know, just more talented than him. Yeah. He's the he is the mid like I, I'm not gonna start calling this like the Hulkenberg complex. If you're better than Hulkenberg, you're probably good enough to be an elite <laughs> level driver. And if you're below him, you're probably in the lower end of the midfield. So so, so RJ, line. so so RJ, we're both baseball fans. Mm-hmm. We we know we know the statistic war wins yeah. above replacement, yeah. where they ah. compare you against the replacement level player that they can sign in your position. Well, for a top, for a big three F1 team, Nico Hulkenberg is that replacement level driver. 
I'd say he's about it. I'd say he's about a two to five war annually two each to year. Five war. Two to five war. <laughs> that sounds about right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're not so American as though I don't know what war is. Like, like I'm not that bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg is like the 2.0 war. He is literally the baseline for what you would consider to be good. Um, or at least very good, because I don't want to say Hulkenberg's anything less than at least good. He's, yeah. he's had very good seasons in the past, and yeah. he had his best ever season last year. Um, he was the best of the rest in seventh place, Formula 1.5 champion. Yeah. And, uh, you he, know, it's, he, it's made a, he made us think for a little bit that Carlos Sainz was just average. And now <laughs> yeah. look what he's doing at McLaren. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's easy to forget that in F1 the lines can move very, very quickly. And it, hey, who would have thought Daniel Ricciardo would be dropping down the division, getting relegated from the Formula One category last year? Um, that doesn't help, given that Ricciardo just is just that good. Doesn't help. Um, in other driver market news, one seat is one more seat is locked down at the top. Valtteri is sticking around at Mercedes for the 2020 season. Woo. Yay! Ooh, I mean, like, like, there's no one to replace him with because Okan got a seat elsewhere. Yeah, I think this move <laughs> this move precipitated the other move because Botas' signing was announced first, and then we were just waiting for the other shoe to drop regarding Esteban Ocon. Indeed, and with Ocon now at Renault, there was no doubt left now that uh, that Valtteri was going to take his seat for next year. I mean, look at Valtteri right now. I think he's gotten a bit more of a rub of the green compared to what he had last season. Um, he's had a couple of wins to his name. I think he's been more competitive against Lewis generally throughout the year. Unfortunately, I think we're getting to that what we call the Bottas mid-year slump. Um, yeah, but even and, still, Mercedes leading the championship is such that they don't like have to risk like having a total teardown of the team. Hamilton and Bottas get along well, and he scores more than enough points to lock down another constructors' championship for Mercedes each year. That's just it. Be a second guy. Be unproblematic. Be willing to cough up the odd win or two to help Lewis get over the line and be a 300-point scorer. That's all Merckx need, and that's exactly what he is. So why would you change that? You know, it's, it's very straightforward. Bottas is, at worst, a great number two in the team, and at best, a guy that will probably get you the odd win here and there. And that's okay. That's probably how F1 teams probably should be constructed and built. Um, having two top gunners going for the same title rarely ever works, as much as people love having the dream team vibe. Um... Ask Nico Rosberg about that one. Um, it, it, it's, it's got varying stories. We'll probably make a YouTube video out of it with a really annoying thumbnail or something. Um, you know, Rosberg loves his good YouTube videos these days. Um, that's the driver market situation in Formula 1. Um, we did also get a, uh, a Formula 3 race, didn't we, RJ? We did. Um, we mentioned that there was talk that Formula 3 might be written off for the weekend after Antoine Hubert's death, which obviously has been the major overarching uh, storyline of the weekend. But indeed, the show did go on. We did have two races and two winners out of that. We had uh, we had Pedro Piquet taking his first win in the feature race and Marcus Armstrong winning the sprint. Also, if you hadn't seen yet, it's on a F1 social media as well. 
uh, Yuri Vips pulls a move on Yuki Tsunoda going down the Kemmel Strait that is pretty much a carbon copy of the Hakkinen Schumacher Ricardo Zantna pass. And they oh, did yeah, a side-by-side side of it, and even Hakkinen was just like, this is perfect. <laughs> oh, dear. It was it was the best. Oh, dear. That, that pass is well worth a watch if you haven't seen it on the interwebs already. And, uh, yeah, I, I've got a feeling Armstrong and Schwartzman are going to be uh, uh, big-time talents in the very near future. Mm-hmm. I would certainly at least... Yuri Vips as well. Yuri Vips as well, because uh, Rebels mm. Red Bull's talent pool cupboard is not entirely barren, but they've got to let him run before he can fly. Um, this would be a good time to point out your uh, your championship standings because Schwartzman got two podiums, second and third. He's now twenty three points ahead of Jehan Daravala in second on one twenty nine. Vips is on one twenty two. Armstrong's on one hundred nineteen. There are two race meetings, and thus. Four races left in the season. The next one is going to be at Monza. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, very much so. More than that very, very soon as well. Going back to IndyCar briefly. Um, well, actually, because there's, there's two big IndyCar stories here. First one, the 2020 calendar is here. Ooh. And uh, there is one significant change. See if you can spot where it is. Season starts March 15th, Street of St. Petersburg, as always. Then we go to Barber, Motorsports Park. Ooh, Barber's now round two. Interesting. I'll be there. Um, Yay. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a small movement. They've moved the Circuit of the Americas later on in April. Um, But yeah, Barber is now round two on April 5th. RJ will be there, as he loves to mention. Um, A couple of weeks after that, April 19th, we are going to the streets of Long Beach again. Then after that, a week afterwards, we go to Texas and the Circuit of the Americas on April 26th. And its new spot there is round four. Um, then the month of May. You know it. I know it. Uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course Race on May 9th. And then, of course, the big one, the Indianapolis 500 on May 24th. A week after that, we head straight to Detroit for the Jewel and the doubleheader over there, 30th and 31st of May. A week after that, we go to Texas for the Super Speedway at Texas Motor Speedway on June 6th. A couple of weeks after that, Road America, oh, my personal favourite, June 21st. A week after that, we go to a brand new round on the calendar, making its return. Richmond is back on June 27th. I wonder who it's replacing. As we go into July, two weeks after that, the streets of Toronto get their race on July 12th. Six days later, we go for some corn at the Iowa Corn 300 on July 18th. That's, a, that's the Saturday night race. Um, then we take a, a one-month break, believe it or not. We've actually now got an Olympic break chucked in there as, uh, well can't imagine why uh it's not like the 2020 (laughs) summer olympics and the indycar series would have a common uh broadcast partner yes watch the games of the watch the 2020 summer olympic games on the nbc network yay so after can get his plugs in after the olympic break the series is back 
On my birthday weekend, August 16th, and Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course on that one. A week after that, well, six days later, actually, we then go off to Gateway for the Worldwide Tech Raceway. Their 500-mile race there at Gateway, August 22nd. A couple of weeks after that, September 6th, we go back to Portland once again at the Portland International Raceway. And the season finale stays at Laguna Seca two weeks after that on September 20th at WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. Now, there's one glaring omission here. And I think half the audience are going to be celebrating this. And half's going to be pissed off because Pocono is gone. At least for the moment. Um, yeah. I, I, was, is... I was going to make the point before I, before I went to Japan um, that, yeah, I think... I don't know how I feel now about whether or not Pocono is too dangerous to race, but I will say this. I don't think it's going to matter if it's too... If, I know it's as dangerous as Indy, but it's not going to matter if it's not putting it putting in butts and seats. And for and yeah. if you're Richmond, uh, you have got to hit the promotion hard, and you got to hit it early. You got to basically make Iowa and Gateway your archetype. Otherwise, you're going to lose this race once the contract runs out. Yeah, and like it, it came out that Pocono was on next year's schedule as late as last Thursday. But they just couldn't pull the deal together. Yeah, and for Pocono, that leaves them with just their doubleheader NASCAR date, which that's not enough for a track to get by. No, and it's a track that needed money and needed more events to justify its own existence, and they've just lost one of their biggest races of the year, and that is a real bummer um, for Pocono. Um, And... In the grand scheme of things, just a quick correction to what you said earlier about the schedule. The mm. race the race at Gateway isn't 500 miles. It's 500 kilometers, meaning it's only 310 oh. it's only 310 miles. Next year will be the first season since 2011 that there will be only one 500 mile oval race. Can't imagine what that is. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, my bad. I got my metric and imperial mixed up. Whoops. Common problem when you're British. Um, <laughs> but that's the 2020 IndyCar calendar um, for 2020. Um, an Olympic break. Richmond back on the calendar to replace Pocono and Kota being moved to a little bit deeper into April. Um, so, yeah. There's also quite a big piece of team-related news as well. Ooh, yes, on top of the silly season news, uh, AJ Floyd Enterprises has revealed that they no longer have ABC Supply as a full-time sponsor next year. ABC Supply was also the title sponsor for the Pocono 500. Um, Next year, ABC Supply will only sponsor a single Foyt car during the Indianapolis 500. Uh oh. Mm. This isn't good, you guys. For a team that's already what I would consider the the meadows of the sport. Yeah, I know they have AJ Foyt's name on it. They are they're objectively worse than Dale Coyne. Uh, oh yeah, that's that's not necessarily good. And now you have to wonder who's driving for them, and who's inevitably bringing the money, and where is that money coming from? Yeah, the team is already kind of stated that 
they have signed neither driver for next year, that it's still up in the air whether they re-sign them or sign new drivers, which at HA Flight Enterprise wouldn't be unprecedented to have, like, two solid drivers and to just not sign them next year. Yeah, we've seen that happen a couple of times, but this is a Numerous little different. Times. Yeah, numerous times they've they've had a like they didn't have a stable driver lineup until this year with Kanan and Lace to keep in their seats, and even the Lace to, like employment was met with raised eyebrows, saying that he basically wasn't ready for this this level of competition. And uh, well, maybe they were right, but even so, who's bringing the funding? Does Kanan bring funding? Like, where the hell does this team go from here? That's all I want to know. Does the Brazilian uh, television partners, do they just want to back up a massive dump truck of money? mm. Is somebody else going to come from, like, another team, like a free agent of some kind? I don't know. Oh, dear. Yeah, like, I, I, I think whether or not they retain... Uh, whether or not they retain Kanan and Lace pretty much comes down and whether they could bring funding. And I feel like that's going to have a lot to do what happens in the other seats in the field. Say, uh, you know, uh, Penske confirms early that Elliot will be in the 500 next year or that, uh, you know, Arrow McLaren uh, confirmed that the second seat will go to Pippo Durrani or uh, like... Uh, or, you know, Felipe Nasr, you know, just to get interest in the series up in Brazil to justify giving funding to AJ Foyt. I gotta say, I don't want it to end for Tony Kanaan like this. Yeah, Kanaan has made it clear he wants a fair- farewell season. Like, he, he doesn't want to, you know, he wants it to end on his terms, not because he was let go by the team. Right. Because we kind of feel like we got shorted that when Elio scaled back to just the month of May. And that wasn't really a retirement. He was just off doing something else awesome for Penske. Yeah. Yeah, just a sad. Hope Foyt can answer some of those problems in the coming weeks and months. RJ, talk to me about the WEC. Um, Normal service has resumed. Toyota's 1-2... Uh, Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez made up for Lamar uh, by going out and winning the race. Although I will say, one of the Rebellion Racing prototypes did lead a good chunk of the race. It just wasn't enough by the end. Um, also, Sorry. also Porsche swept the LMP, LMGT classes, and a team called Cool Racing won LMP2 on its debut, which I just found amusing. <laughs> that is certainly a fun one. And as Cam points out, they did not win GTA GTEM. So that's that's that, that's nice, I guess. Um and finally, throwback weekend in NASCAR, I believe it was as well. Yes. Throwback weekend in NASCAR. Patreon supporter Brian Glennon was there. He was there a long time, wasn't he, King? <laughs> Very, very long time. We we thought this race might not happen due to a hurricane. Yeah. As you do. Because Hurricane Dorian is on its way, and uh, even though it is parked over the Bahamas doing terrible damage there, um, some of the residual got to South Carolina and massively delayed the start to where this race finished 
at 2 a.m. Eastern time. I was waking up for work the next morning and that race was still going. I <laughs> fell asleep and woke up and it had just wrapped up. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> that is ridiculous. But uh, shout out to Eric Jones who won his 100th race start as well. Yes, 100 start. Um, big win for him. Uh, if you were wondering which was the, the best in show car, you have to give it. Oh, yeah. Eric Jones fought off his senior teammate Kyle Busch to win the race. Uh, which is no small accomplishment in a time where Eric Jones's future with one of the premier teams in the sport is coming under some some question. That was a much needed victory. I'll tell you one the best in show award. It was uh it was Bubba Wallace, our 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 collectively favorite NASCAR driver, running the throwback paint scheme for Adam Petty. Adam is of course the grandson of Richard and the son of Kyle. And we lost him um, in 2000 in a practice crash at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And I think coming back to the big story of the weekend, when I heard about Adam's death on the radio as me and my mother were driving into the town where I now live, uh, that was really the first time where it really set on me just how dangerous motorsport as a whole was. Because, yeah, as a young child, I'd learned of some drivers dying, but that was... That was obviously a shock, and he was a driver with an immensely, immensely promising future ahead of him. Just just an all-around really awesome dude, and um, it was great to see um, those colors of his, of his early days when he was still climbing the ladder to NASCAR. This really beautiful purple and green and red and yellow car. It was just so colorful, and... It deserved to finish higher up, but I'm glad it took best in show. Very much so. It's a beautiful thing. I, I would highly recommend you go out of your way to see it. And We have some more news that has came out during, well, yeah, kind of earlier in the recording, where uh, IndyCar was initially planning to test test the aero screen during, you know, the the somewhat gap between Portland and the season finale at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But those tests of the new aero screen won't be able to take place until after the season finale now due to uh, production delays in Europe, considering that most of continental Europe's on holiday for a lot of August, and that, uh... And that, uh there's been a new track surface sealant at IMS that requires two weeks for it to cure, meaning that they can't test it in the week leading up to the race. Mm. Right, right. Uh, also, there's some Formula E news. Uh, I guess someone's reported now, so I guess we're, we're allowed to say is say uh, Sam Sam Smith over at E Racing three six five has uh, posted that. Uh, Maxi Gunther uh, has been testing at BMW at Miramas in the south of France this week, and Ooh. it's likely that next month BMW will announce that Gunther will be alongside Sims next year. The costs are gone? 
Yeah. Uh, well, it's been announced. It's already been announced that Takasa is no longer with the team. Right. Yeah. That's, I missed that one. Yeah, that's kind of been the. Uh, that's been one of the major overarching storylines after Lauder left to Cheetah. Takasa's uh, actually got a uh, got a WEC gig now. I'm wondering if he's if Takasa is still in Formula E, how that's going to how that's going to mesh with his. Form, Nets Formula E role because that's the kind of shit that lost Sam Bird his WEC ride with a, of course, a Ferrari. Yep, that he couldn't do both. Indeed, there's some uh, crisis management there. One last story, also from Sam Smith over at E Racing Three Six Five, that he's talked with uh, Formula E race director Scott Elkins, and. EFI has made it clear that there's a lot of things they want to change about Formula E to make it more streamlined, make sure the races, uh, you know, go from start to finish without too much interruption. That includes removing a lot of the chicane from the circuits, but in this most recent story, uh, the FIA is considering penalties to drivers who cause race stoppages. So we see something like this in IndyCar qualifying, where if you cause if you cause a session stoppage, your best lap time is gone. Formula E, well, Scott Elkins, he's he's brought up the possibility that drivers who cause red flags will be uh, will no longer get to restart the race from their original grid position. That they'll either be severely penalized. Or possibly excluded from the race. Crikey. Race exclusions on the table. Yikes. Well, it's it's not official yet. It's just being proposed. Whew. Weekend ahead. Um, obviously, mods is coming up. Superbikes at Aragon. Super GT at Autopolis. Anything else that I'm missing in the, in the weekend to come? Ooh. I don't think so. Yeah, it's nothing that we regularly cover, at least. I mean, NASCAR is the Brickyard 400, but that's fallen off from a crown jewel event in recent years, shall we say? Just a tap. Yeah, so pretty much next week it's going to be Monza and Superbikes and anything else that we missed in the days in between recording and this actually coming out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, murder GP. Yeah, but like, yeah. Formula One at Monza. Multi um, bikes. Portimao. I would say go check that race out. Portimao is a fantastic racetrack for bikes. It's certainly uh, one of the highlights of the World Superbike calendar. And hey, if it's anything like last year, hopefully it'll be great. And I don't have to explain a rule change. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> that will be next week. Um, and before we go. I'm not going to bother plugging this one more time. You know where to find us. Um, let's not forget that despite the buoyant spirits and the jokes, uh, this was a tragic weekend. And one more time, our thoughts, condolences and prayers go to everyone affected by the tragic loss of Antoine Hubert. A talent, a supreme talent that was taken away from us far too soon. And he'll be forever missed. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.